Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today on our podcast, we are discussing the Star Trek Discovery episode, Light and Shadows. So, Vicki, what did you think of our first view of this series, Spock? Um, like I said, I was almost over it, so I wasn't all that excited to see him. I mean, we already knew who he was, and pretty much all he did was repeat numbers through the whole episode. So, I wasn't impressed. Okay. Hopefully, it'll get impressive. Okay. So this episode, we start off on the Discovery, and Michael Burnham makes her case to Captain Pike that she needs to go back to Vulcan to start from there to try to find Spock. And so Captain Pike agrees, and so we're having an episode that has two storylines, effectively. It's the Michael Burnham trying to find Spock storyline, and then there's a second storyline that involves the ongoing research with the red angel and the red flashes that that the discovery is trying to figure out what they are and that part of the episode is primarily ash tyler and captain pike in a shuttlecraft <laughs> with a little bit Just of like that i did too i really did too i, I the episode, yeah yeah so we have these two storylines that I think you and I are on the same page about. We were kind of both eh about the Spock, Finding Spock storyline and more excited about the exploring the Red Angels signal storyline. So let's talk about those a little bit. The um, let's, let's go ahead and get the Spock one out of the way. <laughs> So we can have, have fun with the other one. <laughs> we were so excited for him to show up last season, and now we're like, let's get this one. <laughs> so um, Michael Burnham yeah. goes to Vulcan, which we get to see Vulcan, which that's kind, that was kind of cool. Her arriving on Vulcan, and they're questioning if she's there on Starfleet business, and she's saying no, she's there as the, the daughter of Spock. That was a kind of cool sort of... It, information about the culture and the interaction between Vulcan and Starfleet. So I enjoyed that part. And then she goes to the house and and um, and there's a thunderstorm and it's raining and I was under the impression it didn't actually rain on Vulcan so that was kind of a surprise but a pleasant one and my son said of course it rains mom. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right fair enough. So then she sees her mom and her mom is watching Sarek who's trying to connect with Spock through Vulcan telepathy. I think it's, isn't it the same sort of telepathy that Sarek used to save Michael Burnham in season one? I don't know. I don't remember what the name was. I don't either. But he did this did sort they, of, go ahead. Did they say it? They did. And I, yeah, it was, um, 
I don't remember if they said the name in season one, so I don't know if it's the same thing. Yeah, I don't know if they said the name. But you're right, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. so I kind of wondered if that was that. And, and in season one, they made it seem like, if memory serves, that it was like something unusual that he did special for Michael. And now he seems to be doing it for Spock, if it's the same thing. So I thought that was, you know, okay. And then... So he's like deep in this meditative state while Michael is talking to her mother about trying to find Spock. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm meditating, it irritates me when people are standing in front of me talking. Right. <laughs> Maybe Vulcans <laughs> are... Both stand and stare at them. <laughs> Maybe they're more focused and so they can do it. But I was just thinking, <laughs> wow, if that was me, I'd be like, go away. <laughs> so then... Michael, and it is very clear because once again, this season is just hitting you over the head with the non oh, non-verbal cues. Bang, bang, bang. She's clearly not telling the truth. Bang, bang, bang. There's no subtlety here. And Michael calls no. her mom on the fact that you know where he is. You've seen him. You're lying to me. Blah, blah, blah. So then the next thing you know, we're in some special cave or something cave yeah. sacred cave where spock has been reciting numbers and this is where she's trying to allow him to sort his way through whatever issue he's fighting whatever mental health issue mental block issue he's fighting and and it's all very confusing and then sarek shows up and there's this oh and then we have amanda tell him spock's whole history yeah like he wasn't there. yeah yeah. So here we go. More more spot backstory that, you know, makes him unique and unusual and atypical for a Vulcan and because of her human genetic contribution to the child. And one of these things is some kind of form of almost like dyslexia. They were trying to make it sound like dyslexia where he was seeing images backwards and numbers and letters backwards and that's why she would read to him all the time so that he would be able to compensate for this human element that she brought into the to the into the makeup of the kid so and of course you know michael burnham knows nothing about this and so she's you know very good at projecting shock and um <laughs> on her face she, she's good 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 job with that and then sarek orders her, well doesn't order i guess he doesn't order but he logics them into turning spock over to section 31 Okay, <laughs> so, and his, his idea is that Section 31 is deeply committed to finding out the truth of the red flashes and the red angels, and Spock has information about the red angels, therefore, they are going to cure Spock. They are the most likely ones to cure Spock because they have a vested interest in curing Spock. And Michael buys this, despite, yeah. <laughs> despite what she has already learned about section 31 and and this is one of the things that i that bothered me about this was you know in season one her instincts were the core of the story she fired on the klingons and they're gone now they've completely taken her instincts out of the mix now and it's it's a shame because it's not it it makes for a more plotting story you know i think there are ways for her makes her sorry i'm sorry go ahead go ahead I said it makes her a very dull character. Yes. And the story is dull because of that, too. Death with her. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
it's it's and, and just you would think he brought her to Starfleet to bring out her human side and for in the first season it seems remember and I remember saying so many times her emotions are so out of whack that when she gets emotional like she she's running on pure emotion and this season she's just Vulcan yeah she just talks in that monotone voice all of the time she doesn't seem to be running on any emotion very I mean when Saru was sick and when Tilly was lost yeah but she doesn't seem she's very dull yeah we're just not seeing the I'm trying to find the right word to describe her because again season one we saw this person who's incredibly smart with really good instincts who was managing the emotions that came with those things and we got to see some really creative and dynamic storytelling and acting because of it and now we've lost all those instincts now she's just I'm doing my job whether her job is to be the science officer or to follow her captain's orders or to do what her dad tells her to do she's gonna do her job yeah, yeah. so and, and she didn't really get a mandate either no you know Burnham says to her if he were a full-blooded Vulcan he'd be mad right now but still she thinks the best thing to do is to keep him in this cave yeah risking insanity in his life she puts a lot of stock in that Alice in Wonderland book and in that's going to save everybody and cure everything and in her own instincts as a parent which is not very logical for someone who's lived on Vulcan for as long as she has no. so maybe and not very emotional either no really <laughs> It's sort of like, you know, the Vulcan version of Jane Eyre, the mad woman in the attic. <laughs> yes, yeah, because she's just kind of um, just like Burnham, that even monotone voice showing no emotion. She's aware of whatever's going on with could kill him, but she's going to leave him in this cave because she doesn't want anybody to arrest him. Yeah. So do you have a dead child or you have a child that's in custody? But maybe, What's your choice? but maybe cured. And and I think that's another thing for us to consider in that this era of society and this era of the Federation has, you know, humane mental health approaches, right? So if he's committed a crime under the influence of a mental health issue, then I believe there's actually canon that would enable the Federation to examine that as part of their evaluation of any consequences and and also they would work their tail off to heal him so like remember the original episode the original series episode with um captain garth and he's in a mental health facility yes and it's supposed to be very enlightened and it's supposed to be i mean okay so it was a very 60s version of enlightenment for mental health issues <laughs> But the kernel of that whole framework was still compassionate, enlightened, help the, help treatment, make things better, don't treat criminals as criminals who have mental health issues, but cure the mental health issue to then resolve the criminality. And we don't see any of that. There's no trust in no. the system to do to take care of that. And that so it's a little anyway. So so Michael No, and at the end of that conversation, Sarek is the one who showed the most the most Thing. Yes. <laughs> he didn't want to lose both of his children in one day. Yes, exactly. 
it's just a backwards world <laughs> yep. we're in right now. Yep. So Michael Burnham does what her dad tells her to do, and he, she takes Spock to Section 31. And Section 31, and, you know, Leland reassures her, oh, no worries. We're, of course we're going to take care of him. And I'm like, you're believing him? I mean, she just... <laughs> <laughs> so, I know you're right. All of our instincts are gone. They're gone. They're so gone. And so, so he's like, "Sure, we're going to take care of him, and we're going to give him this this treatment, and it's going to help bring him out of this. And don't worry, it's all going to be good. But you know what? You have to because your presence here, you know, might be too much emotional juju in the room. So we're just going to have you step outside while we do this, right?" And she buys this, and I'm sitting there going, "What the heck?" And then she goes outside and. Agent Georgiou says, you're buying this? <laughs> she says, your instincts are right. This is not trustworthy. And, and I'm sitting there going, what instincts? Because if she didn't actually have instincts, she wouldn't have left him in there. But okay. So, and then Agent Georgiou, like, convinces her to stage a mock fight to then take down Agent Georgiou and rescue Spock and get him out of there because she says that this treatment that they're going to give him is actually just going to remove his memories and destroy his brain. And so it's all it's all going to be, you know, mega bad. And while I found myself very torn as I watched this because on the one hand, I knew Leland was lying mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand why Burnham believed him, but I couldn't understand why Burnham believed Georgia either. <laughs> no, and I think she was less it looked like she was less um, intense on believing Giorgio than Leland, but she believed her in the end. Yeah. I'm not sure why. Um, and maybe their instincts are finally kicking back in? Totally, because they're lost out there somewhere. Yeah. So there's a wonderful fight Probably scene. Probably in the temporal cold war. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. That better not be part of this. <laughs> We better not be talking about a temporal cold war. Oh, I know, my goodness. Yep, oh, please, let's not even invoke the spirits of Enterprise. We don't want to curse this series with the spirits of Enterprise. I love Enterprise, but not that, I wasn't fan of that story. Like yeah. So there's a great fight scene, and I and I did enjoy that. And when she said, hit me, Burnham hit her, and it was... And she jumped the gun, too, yeah. <laughs> it's a good hit. <laughs> So I really enjoyed the fight scene, and I enjoyed the escape. That was fun. That was, you know, some action and adventure. And finally, we have Burnham acting on her instincts, you know, belayed instincts. So so that's where we left. Oh, and she then realized that these numbers, after she escapes, they're in the shuttlecraft, these numbers that Spock is reciting are being recited backwards because of his dyslexia, or, you know, dyscalculia, if that's... And so she then right. inputs the numbers in the opposite order that Spock is reciting them. And the computer comes up with one destination, which is Talos 4. <laughs> yep. And I'm thinking, oh, this is this before or after the cage? It must be before. It has to be before. See, and I'm, I'm not... I like that they throw little tidbits at us of the original series, yes. like Mud and... Like Pike. Yep. But I don't want, this isn't going to be, I don't want this to be a show about Pike. And I, not only do we not want it to be a no, show I about Pike, but I don't want them to rewrite canon. Hey, right. We have a story about Talos 4 already. I'm curious to already. see what they're going to do with this. I'm very curious I'm as well. Sorry. 
I, I said we have a story about Talos 4. We actually have two stories about Talos 4, and I, and I agree. I'm, like you, curious about what they're going to do with this and really, really praying they don't screw this up. And, may, and hopefully, I'm hoping that it's just Burnham and Spock that go there and Pike stays out of it. Yeah, that would be good. Maybe that would... And maybe you know, keep everything on track. Yeah, and maybe even the Telosians remove their memory of going there. In which right. case, that would ex that would then make it work that when ta when Spock shows up again later, that he's not you know oh yeah I've been well, here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I mean again I agree I love the tidbits I love the you know the the callbacks it's it's really great just. Don't rewrite the story, please. The story right, was this isn't the original series, the prequels. A whole different show. Exactly. And the story was good. The original series, The Cage, was outstanding. It's a wonderful episode. And I thought right. what so they leave it alone. Leave right. it alone. And what they did with the menagerie to use that footage was also brilliant. Yes. So just leave it alone. <laughs> okay, so that was the end of the Spock side of the story. Any any thoughts on that before we move into the Red Angel side of the story? Oh, I just, like I said, most of, most of it was boring to me. I wasn't really even excited to see Spock because it, everything's so predictable so far. Yeah. I did enjoy the Tyler Pike part. I did too. So the, that side of the story was that, that as they're still examining the Red Angel phenomena that take that occurred over Kaminar, which is of course Saru's homeworld. So they're still over Saru's homeworld. They're still in orbit. They realize that there's a temporal anomaly and it's giving off temporal waves. And so they want to go investigate the temporal anomaly. Captain Pike wants to go because he's like he says he's the best shuttle driver and, and Tyler says he wants to go because this is about section this is about red the Red Angels stuff and section 31 assigned him to do the red angel stuff and so he has to be and there's some really terrific banter between the two of them right right when he throws his badge at him yeah yeah so it's you can there's some really great dynamics there i mean it's like night and day the dynamics between pike and tyler versus the entire spock family right so anyway they get into the shuttle they go and they send a probe into the temporal anomaly and then they're trying to figure out what's going on and they get caught up in it. And as Tilly puts it, because their temporal waves are going out all over the place, trying to find them would be like trying to find them in a blender. And so they're really stressed about that until Saru points out to her that Lieutenant Stamets, because of his tardigrade DNA, kind of can see outside of Tanju's and will be able to find them. And I thought that was kind of fun. Right. Meanwhile, yeah. Go ahead. Didn't say anything. Okay. So, meanwhile, Pike and Tyler are still, you know, jibing at each other in the shuttlecraft. <laughs> Pike's trying to get Tyler to just do what he's told to do. And Tyler's trying to get Pike to admit that he's out there because he's angry and frustrated that he didn't get to participate in the war. And so he's burning off some of his testosterone, for a better word. <laughs> his angst. I don't know what. I don't remember what he called it. But. Yeah. So then, they're stuck there. Stamets tries to find them. He's able to find them. These, you know, the different ways that they try to get them. And Stamets is actually able to beam into 
the shuttlecraft in order to be able to navigate them out because he can see the way where they can't. And in the meantime, they're under attack from their probe, which I thought was very cool, though it did look like the squids from the Matrix. The probe, like, somehow went ahead to 500 years in the future and then was sent back all souped up with squiddy legs, Matrix squiddy legs and squiddy attack mode and was trying to get in and download their database. So they're trying to stop the squid while navigate their way out and so they finally get out of the, you know, Stamets navigates them out and they're realizing that maybe this whole Red Angel thing is not as benevolent as it appears because the squid certainly didn't seem benevolent. It seemed destructive and damaging. So now they've got this two sides to this whole Red Angel thing. Is it good? Is it not good? And then there was also a great scene where uh, you can see that Pike and Tyler are developing a mutual respect for each other. Where Tyler says, yeah. you know, what you did in there it was the right choice to do. And Pike said, yeah, well, what you said in there about sitting out the war, you were right. That's part of it. And so that was there, was, there was some character development there that was really cool to watch. Hey. Did I miss anything? Wait, that, oh, no. Um, whatever it was intact, Tyler and earlier Pike saw the, yeah. you know, how they saw the time loop or whatever which made it look like he was going to shoot Tyler but then later on we find out that this thing was attacking Tyler and Pike had to shoot the thing yeah which was really good because Um, it it showed that Pike was a thoughtful you know just because he had seen it in like a time echo of the future from the future he wasn't going to act on its obvious conclusion yeah yeah I like that he didn't jump the gun and yeah yeah and uh I can't, can't think of what I was going to... Cool. Well, it'll come to you. It'll come to you. So, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you give this one? If I could split it in half, I would give the Tyler Pike portion of the show um, an 8. Half is somewhere in fours. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. You know, 8 for that per- half of the story and four for the other one that, yeah i'm we're in the same page oh, on that one what we i know what we forgot what did we forget when the when they blew blew up the probe yes the, what do you call it the uh shuttlecraft yes that's yeah. something that person on the bridge that we don't remember her name Ari. oh that's right it's arium Yes. Pretty sure her name is Ariam. You're right. Yes. The, it was almost as if that she Seemed was... Seemed like he took in whatever information, whatever. Yeah. So she they tapped into what the squid was putting in, you know, like how it was down, what it was downloading from their own database. And it seemed mm-hmm. like there might have been some kind of a visual, almost like a visual virus that it, infected her systems. So then that leads to the question, which is kind of obvious, but who knows lately with this show. Because when Saru saw the, the Red Angel, it was wearing a type of suit like that. Oh, like wow. Was. Yes, you're right. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, very interesting. I don't know. Very, very interesting. Oh, wow. Look at you go. Could be a misdirect, but... 
Could be. That's what I thought. And I was like, how very interesting. So, so that would be more bootstrapping then. Wow. Well, something to think about. So any other, any other thoughts on this episode, light and shadows? Really? Like I said, I was bored with the spot part. I enjoyed the Pike and Tyler part and I'm hoping they work together more because that, that would be a good pair, a good team to pair up because I, even though they're, they get along, I don't, I don't, I think there's always going to be that little, uh, snarkiness between sure and you know that i think i think that's a really good point there's mutual respect but it doesn't mean they like each other right yeah right them working together would it'd be enjoyable to watch i agreed agreed so the next episode that we're going to review is entitled if memory serves and i don't really know anything about this don't either. So it should it should be interesting to see how they carry along these storylines, and hopefully it won't bore us. <laughs> yeah. So very good. Okay. Any other comments before we finish up? I don't think so. I think we're good. All right. Terrific. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time for the episode, If Memory Serves. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. Transfer complete.